All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Episode of the Hordes of Chaos. This is DJ Neko. DJ Nibis. Episode 118 of the Hordes of Chaos on the Metal Time Radio podcast. I'm still feeling kind of tired. I think because. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, really rainy and sad here today. And not last. Well, last night we stayed up really late because we watched the Joe Bob Briggs drive in. Um, What's the last drive-in? Yeah, it's it's his regular weekly. Friday but it starts night at thing. nine, and it's like five or six hours long. So we we're up late every Friday. But the night before, Anubis he um he has a, a different work schedule than me, um, and he, he works Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and works twelve-hour shifts. And I work Monday through Friday, but I work from home a lot. So I felt bad because Thursday night, Anubis stayed up all night so he could play Dynasty Warriors. And I was working from home and I was like doing all these conference calls. And and my office is, we have a small house and my office is the second bedroom. And even though the door was shut, I'm I'm sure I was, you know, too loud. (laughs) And so he, he got maybe five four hours four hours of sleep and then we stayed up all like easily to 2 a.m last night we are old <laughs> and then we slept. that's not old that's actually pretty good considering <laughs> and then we um slept in today and he's like hey hey baby it's one o'clock i told her last night because she goes well what time are we doing the podcast i said well i said about you know one or two or whatever <laughs> She goes, well, just make sure I'm up by noon. I'm like, sure, okay. And then, like, I wake up earlier, take a whiz, go back to bed, because it seems way too early. And then I wake up finally. I'm still quite tired at that point. I'm, like, looking at the phone, and it's, like, 1 o'clock. I'm like, fuck. So we basically slept all day, and we're still feeling real, like, oh, my God, why am I so tired? And what's really sad is I think the more that you sleep, the more tired you feel. (laughs) 
But we both... Yeah, because that's... That, you know, yesterday, I had the four hours of sleep, and even though I could have kept gone back to sleep, because you weren't talking loud the whole time, but, you know, you're doing your work thing, but then, like, I I just couldn't get back to sleep, really. I was, like, I was laying there, and I'm like, eh, I feel all right. So I get up, and I felt great throughout the day. Like, you were very productive. Like, yeah, it's not normal. Like, I'm like... As it got to be, like, 5 and 6 o'clock last night, I'm like, yeah, I probably could have went to work today and still survived. Usually I don't say it because I need, like, at least 6, you know, to, to function. Uh, but we got, like, 11 hours of sleep last night. <laughs> yeah, easily. I mean, he he's not kidding. I got up because I have to feed the cat. God, God forbid if you don't feed the cat, she starts, like, howling at you. So I woke up just because it's time to go to the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, God, it's 7. Uh, all right, I'll feed the cat, and I'm still tired. We went to bed at 2. Yeah, I can go back to bed for a couple of hours. And he's, like, snoring. I'm like, he's not getting up, so. Wow. And he, he stole my pillow last night. I woke up, and there are no pillows under my head. <laughs> and I don't even know how it happened because my pillow was, like, in between our heads, but like stuffed under his pillows, he had like a pillow fortress <laughs> around his head, and I'm like, "Where? How That's did why this? I slept so good. <laughs> the, the pillow fortress." But I have to say that uh, Dormo mattress topper, I think it's making a difference. We bought well, after a while, you just keep throwing cushioners on top. I, of it. <laughs> we bought a new mattress two years ago, and it's not too shabby, but it is a little firm. And um, they're like, okay, well, give give it time to break in. And we did, and we're like, we were going to return it, but it was just such a pain in the ass to try to return it. So we're like, all right, we'll keep it. It's not bad, just a little firm for our taste. So then um, I bought just your typical mattress cover. It's supposed to be, like, cooling or whatever. It didn't make any difference. And, of course... Um, Facebook knows everything because it was, I guess, it was picking up that I was looking for some type of mattress topper, and this thing had, I don't know how many five-star reviews. It was a little pricey, and I'm like, well, might as well try it. So I bought it, and they're like, give it like 30 days to break in, and we've had it now maybe, what, two weeks? And I don't feel so stiff waking up, and I fall asleep faster, and... Yeah, I was out. Uh... Like, I don't remember much. We just, I said, can I turn it? Because I like to have the TV on when I sleep. And I said, I'll, I'll just turn it on, but no sound. Or, like, I can't. I, literally, like, at one point when you first did that, like, I heard it just a little bit. And I'm like, I got to get that sound off. And I was, like, trying to reach for the remote. <laughs> and it went there, and I was, like, too tired to worry about it. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to bed. Yeah, because I keep it on, like, one. Right. Just for a little bit of ambient <laughs> noise and a little bit of ambient light. He likes it dark. Well, the problem is, like, I don't really necessarily hear the dialogue because... But I knew you were watching Gilmore Girls. I heard the stupid intro, and I, that thing drives me bonkers. Because, <gasps> well, it's like every. It, it was like when you used to watch uh, The Office. Like I, it, it bumps it up to sound. Yeah, so. why do they do that on the intros? So like I, I heard it like, and I'm like, just as I'm going to sleep, The Office thing goes. Dun, 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 and I'm like, Fuck. <laughs> so because it's like twenty or thirty minute episodes. So like, well, Gilmore I'm, Girls is is forty five. So yeah. at least you can fall asleep. I um, I enjoy Gilmore Girls. It, it's it's just sappy and and mother daughter bullshit. And I'm pretty, you know, I I like to sleep even when I was on the ship because it's noisy as fuck on the ship. I um, and it's dark on the ship. I would always have something playing. I'd have some kind of um, 
when I'm sleeping some kind of movie or whatever because it kind of like drowns out all the ship noises the engine the thrusters the even the ventilation is really loud it's so crazy because when you uh, finally get to port and all that stuff is turned off you don't realize how loud the ship was and I'm like wow it's almost like silence anyway we are really really busy show for you. We we have been just like stacking movies and stacking documentaries and Well, yeah, I think this week has just been documentaries and movies. Just to know, yesterday we ended up watching cuz like we we like to try to do the show on Fridays, but you know, just shit gets busy and we can't always fit the time in, you know, perfectly. She wanted to go out Wednesday, I think with her friends. Yes. And oh, so that yeah. was fine. Uh, but yesterday we ended up watching, because I already watched one doc that we got to talk about uh, a, a day before so. So we were, we were watching that while I was... But I knew she would kind of like it. I did, I did. So we, we, we watched that first, then we watched our My Retro Movie of the Week, uh, which we'll get to later. And then of course by the time that ended, Joe Bob was getting ready to start and we're like, well, let's just keep rolling and that's what we did. And it was a couple of good movies that Joe Bob had on his show last night for the uh, episode three or four. I can't remember which one it is, but it's really good. A couple of great movies we're going to talk about. And then just the day before, I think we watched, uh, I, I tend to watch the uh, Dark Side of the Ring series. I think it was earlier in the week. It was probably um, Tuesday, Tuesday because Wednesday I went out with my friends and... No, because you work on Tuesday. Well, you got home er earlier on Tuesday. He, oh, yeah, because Because you switched schedule. your schedule. I'm so proud so of nice. He's so happy now. Like, it wasn't like he was miserable at his old job. He was perfectly content, but um, it's the same job, just a different warehouse where he picks up and delivers, and he's like, it's so nice. The <laughs> carts work. The, the, the... You're not loading up outside. I'm back to, like, regular... Yeah, it's not that I mind work, but when I was doing the mega cycle at my last DSP, like... You weren't getting home sometimes until 11 o'clock at night. Right, and that's fine, because that's their shift. They were second cycle, but problem is, I was averaging 150 to 180 stops and, like, 300 packages a day for three days. Like, it's, you know, I only worked three days, but I feel like I worked an entire week just in those three days. Now we're back to, you know... 80 to 120 stops and like you know uh 150 to 170 two pack 200 packages you know it's like nothing crazy it's not out blowing you out or killing you and you know i still ended up having a rescue one of the things they said that was like rescuing wasn't that much of a norm there but the first two days i was there i was rescuing but i was getting done with my routes like three o'clock so it didn't bother me because i'd go help someone for an hour and then i'd still be back home by five or six and that's it's such a big difference because I get home and I at least have like, you know, three or four hours to, to relax and be with her. And Yeah, before I would force myself to stay awake because I'd want to see him and especially like around... She'd let her be going to bed right when I got home. When, like around Christmas time, it was even more insane because they're like, you have to get your packages off. There's like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to get your packages off. So he would be swamped um, Christmas time and... It was like he'd just be so exhausted, and now I mean Amazon is a very very busy job. Just no matter what part of if you're working in the warehouse or you're like him, you're a driver. But I think the shift in hours. So instead of he goes in a little bit earlier and he gets done a little bit earlier, but 
he almost feels like he isn't like bone dead tired mm -hmm. and that's awesome because i get i you know sometimes i get like i said sometimes i work from home sometimes i go into the office and if i'm working in the office there's no way i'm staying any later than five no matter if i get unless it's a god-awful emergency I will not stay later than five because it's the worst in the world to do that. If I'm working from home, I will, you know, work later just to catch up on things. But I would, you know, I'd get home and I'd be home for hours and he'd be rolling in 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, oh, this is awful. Or for a while, um, I'd just stay over with, I'd go over my mom and dad's because it's just so boring to be home alone without my man here and now it's like he gets home like around six o'clock seven o'clock and I'm like oh we can have dinner and I can go to bed at the same time as you and it feels more normal because we're just going to bed about 10 30 and I know this. anyway go. I know this is boring but we're just like we we're really happy with the changes that are going on in our lives and we just wanted to share with you how happy we are because things are going so... F we want to rub it in your face. Yeah. Just kidding. We're happy, fuckers. But a uh, lot of new music coming your way. I uh, got some stuff from Angel PR, Quabar PR, Curtain Calls, um, Inverse, Grand Sounds. But uh, we're going to kick it off some block of brand new stuff from Ulcer, Vomit Ritual, and Grave Mia Mia. Mia Miasma. Miasma. Miasma? Meows. Meow. Meow. <laughs> I can never pronounce this shit. I can't either. But uh, here's Ulcer with those black gods. Survive. 
Good. 
Anime from Darken and you are listening to the Cause of Chaos only on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, DJ Nubis and DJ Nico back with you. Gonna talk a little bit about Brian Pillman, the wrestler uh, who was once known uh, with the tag team of Steve Austin and himself called the Hollywood Blondes. I love that. I did not know that he and Steve Austin were tag team. Yeah, well, they were pretty partners. good friends, you know, and everything back in the day. Uh, Brian started his career playing for the Calgary Stampeders in Canadian Football League. I think he did that for three years. And before going into wrestling and doing that and whatnot. Uh, he actually was kind of taught, or at least uh, directed by uh, the Hearts, who are famous for uh, Hitman Hart mm-hmm. and, you know, Owen Hart and all them, the Hart Foundation. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys, mm-hmm. great family history of wrestling. So, Brian had a, a, you know, a good relationship with them and being, you know, guided him to become a good wrestler and whatnot. And he was actually pretty well. He was, in fact, they, one thing they talk about is he was kind of a short guy, so he, but he had a lot of power. It wasn't, he wasn't like Rey Mysterio Jr. small, but just tiny compared to a lot of the guys that are in the, in wrestling right now, so professional wrestling or even under that, but, uh, Unfortunately, he also had a lot of like demons and and that was so sad. I didn't I didn't really know much about him. Right. So watching this, when you see, um, like the talent that he had and how much like Stone Cold was on the documentary, just it was almost like it, he he said like it was his brother, you know, like and he just you could see the talent and everything but it's just when you get involved with heroin it's it's pretty pretty scary yeah and you know the funny thing is at the time brian was uh when he first kind of got in there to wcw and all that he kind of initiated the whole like high flying stuff you know he'd seen some of that with like macho man and hogan and all them Mm mm-hmm uh, Brian was the first one to really kind of like really like use that as a catalyst for his wrestling style. Um, he also was uh, integral and uh, in kicking in the Attitude Era of the WCW and WWE or WWF at the time. So he was a big part because he he was desperately wanting to be one of the biggest stars there. Like after. I think it was WCW broke up the Hollywood Blondes, which was surprising to them because they had won a tag team title together, he and Austin. Uh, they split them up, and uh, Brian was desperately trying to make a name for himself. Uh, you know, he, he wanted to be like the next Hulk Hogan or mm-hmm. something like that. So he was constantly trying to push Bischoff and them to, you know, get him there. So I don't know. Eventually. If I remember, there came a point where during the late 90s when, you know, WWE and WCW were kind of battling for the ratings and everything, uh, Brian wanted to 
really jump ship because I think at the time WCW started signing a lot of different uh, wrestlers from you know WWE that you know like Scott Hall and Hogan and all of them. Uh, so he was going to try to come up with a gimmick, and that was to be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he came to Bishop, but he, it was funny because they talk about this, and it wasn't just. Brian trying to market himself better because that's one thing Eric Bischoff told him was like, look, you want you want to get more money, you gotta stand out, you gotta make your brand. And I think Brian said, okay. But what he did was, and it's kind of funny, Bischoff kind of disagrees and thinks that it was just all part of the plan. But according to Austin and some of the other people that knew him, his family, uh, who knew him, Brian was gonna tell Bischoff I'm going to play crazy so what I want you to do is I'm going to have you sign this release form and then I can go be crazy at these other locations and so Bischoff thinking it's part of the gimmick you know didn't realize that the wording was it was a legit contract (laughs) to release him from his contract with WCW this would allow Brian to go and take offers from uh, McMahon and of course he, he appeared on ECW goofing around like just being crazy, trying to like build his brand, so mm-hmm. to speak. And finally, I think uh, Vince McMahon finally did give him the contract, and he did leave. Uh, but in his personal life, um, Brian, like during all this time, like people were wondering if he was really crazy or not, like how much of it was part of shtick and what, how much of it was really him, because uh, he was just so desperate to be one of the highest paid and best wrestlers out there. So, uh, there was a, you know, he was married to a woman, uh, Rochelle, for a while, and they had a couple kids, and then during his time, this is earlier before, really, WCW took off, so he was kind of doing these other lower wrestling leagues or whatever. Like, what, what they're like the farm leagues or whatever. Something like You know that. what I mean? Because, like, that's what it was in the 80s for the longest time. It was, like, all regional. It right, was, right. So, this is, like, in the 90s where it started ramping up as a national kind of circuit. Yeah. So, while he's in Atlanta, you know, trying to do this stuff, his wife is still back in, I, I forget, they're in the Midwest somewhere, I think. And so... What ended up happening was he started an affair with this other woman. Um, I forget her name. Melanie. Melanie. That's it. Yeah, she was a stripper or something at the time. I can't remember. But uh, he started an affair with her. Ended up having getting her pregnant. And that kind of like led to the divorce with Rochelle. Um, now, Rochelle had her own problems or whatnot. But I don't know. For a while there, uh, Brian and Melanie, they ended up getting married. Uh, they want to take custody of kids, so this is kind of like hurting Rochelle because um, they're trying to, you know, because Rochelle didn't have the resources and finances to keep up and compete. To, to keep fighting with this uh, this custody case. Right. I mean, like, Brian is making shit tons of money, and, you know, they want the kids, so when you start throwing money at a situation, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Right. And so... At some point, Rochelle kind of disappeared. Like, I think probably just trying to get her life together. And it was hard for her to... So I think she had moved to Florida or something. Was trying to get a job or whatever. But she ends up showing up at Brian's house because she wants to see her kids. And one of the the daughters sees her and runs up to her, hugs her. 
And it's at this point that Brian and Melanie see this and they think that she's there to kidnap the kid when she really wasn't. So, Do they really think she was there to kidnap the kid or are they just making trouble? Well, either way, they end up getting a restraining order against Rochelle and this is what kind of broke the camel's back, so to speak, with Rochelle because she's all depressed. She can't see the kids and so... One night, she basically tells her mother, I believe, that, or no, it was actually Brian's mother. I think she had good terms with her, because mm -hmm. Brian's mother was the one that kind of watched everything go on and was the one to break news to people. Mm -hmm. So, she's talking to Brian's mother, and she says, I'm going to kill myself, and eventually she shoots herself that night. Don't know if it was on the phone or not, I don't think so. Um, and at this point, Brian at the funeral is devastated, like... I guess he just didn't get it. Like, he didn't... But, he, I mean, he obviously felt guilt about it, which, <coughs> in my opinion, good. <laughs> he and Melanie supposedly felt guilt about it. I'm like, well, that's what you get. This is what happens when mm -hmm. you fucking act like assholes. You use kids as pawns. This is what happens. Uh, but he paid for the funeral, and, you know, you can, you know, people would say he was really devastated by her death. And all this stuff. Now, once we've moved on from that... Uh, God, I got to figure out what else happened with Melanie because I know it's just like a bunch of shit. I don't know, but either way, this doc, you know, it's basically following them much later because Brian. Uh, so Melanie, she had her two children at the time, and yeah. he had two kids that were from Rochelle's marriage. Yeah, I think there's five altogether. We, mm -hmm. we saw three in a dog. And then Melanie and Brian had two kids together, Brian Jr. and Skylar King. And Skylar was supposedly born after Brian was gone, after Brian passed away. But there's speculation that Skylar uh, was um, the result of an affair that Melanie was having. And um, because Melanie remarried her, whoever this dude was, who was the stepfather to the kids, Melanie um, also adopted one of Brian's daughters, which was from the first marriage. So what we were learning about this was the, the daughters, um, who was it, Danielle, Brittany, and the son, Brian, they um they said like it, it was kind of crazy going from being super rich to not knowing not, if they had food. Yeah, not knowing if they would have food. And what we learned was the WWF was paying Brian's salary for what, like three, four months after he passed away. They were doing all these fundraisers and stuff to raise money for the kids and their education, and the kids never saw a dime of it. And we learned that Melanie ended up with her new husband getting really heavy into drugs. And the speculation, obviously, is the money that has been raised for these kids was used to fuel Melanie's drug habit. Yeah. Now, the kids that we saw in the documentary, they really didn't have a lot of relationship with Melanie for a long time, even though Brian is her son, like her biological son. Danielle and Brittany, nothing. And um, her 
Melanie from her first marriage, Alexis, Alexis passed away um, in the early 2000s. And Jesse, we didn't see anything because that, those were the two from her first um, right. relationship. And it was just very interesting to see, like, how the kids, you know, they're like, we lose our mom, Brittany and, and Danielle, and then we also lose our dad, and then we have to live like this. So it turned out it was their aunt that um, took them in, right. bought a house, and made them a family again. And honestly, Brian even though, again, it's his biological mother, was so angry and upset with how things went down. And, you know, now there's the speculation that, oh, it's just kind of interesting how Skylar was born after Brian died. And she's claiming that Skylar was Brian's. And then she gets married so quickly. Brian Jr., he was, like, not interested in a relationship for years and it took him up until maybe a few few years ago to, to mend fences and you see melanie in this doc and you're like she definitely is or was a drug addict she yeah. looks not good you at know, all like compared to what she's looked like I, there's one thing about just aging but you can just see like the missing teeth and just she's strung out i mean obviously she may not be on drugs at the point but of it does doc. take a toll on your body right uh it just it made her look really bad now, Brian Jr. keeps a relationship with his mom because it is his birth mom. Uh, but the other girls really don't want anything to do with her. And at this, you know, Melanie in this doc says that she's hoping for forgiveness and all this. But, man, I, I can see why it, or how it would be very hard. Because uh, you've been the catalyst for what happened with your mom. Maybe even if it's not Brian because Brian is a grown man at that point. But... The shit that went on with their birth mother, you know, it's just like, it's hard to take. And it's understandable that they have a lot of anger. And then, of course, the money thing. The money thing and being mistreated and not having any food and having to go live with your aunt, you know, as a teenager because you're just so unhappy and feeling like you're not being treated. And and it's not just like from what they portrayed, clearly... We, there are two sides to every coin, but Melanie is admitting wrongdoing. Melanie is admitting that she was, after Brian's death, it, she went down a bad, bad mm -hmm. path. And, you know, she was depressed. She married this guy just because she was lonely and sad. And she couldn't control her drug habit and her drinking habit. And the kids are, you know, talking about how abused they were and how unhappy they were. You, you know, you can read between the lines, but it... it it does sound like it was just a mess after Brian died because nobody could handle it and nobody... I mean, you have adults that are supposed to be acting like adults taking care of kids and they can't even take care of the kids because they're... You know, she's trying to deal with her own demons and it, it turns into a big mess. Yeah, so, I mean, whether or not you believe the stuff that she says in this, you know, she does come out and say, you know, I, I did some things badly and wrong choices. and So she tries to in this way reach out to them but whether or not they end up oh sorry um one thing they didn't say this in the doc but i always like to do my own research and read articles apparently brian and melanie were evol involved in a divorce at the time of his death, of his death. Right. and basically they're saying that they were living together but he was like banished to the basement hmm. and they were fighting 
and then he dies so you know brian doesn't take stress well so he ods like the morning of was it od or did they say a heart issue i can't remember it might have been a heart issue i'm sorry because he he was taking so many drugs and it, it did right yeah he was a drug addict but there's like prescription drugs mm-hmm. for pain and stuff like that but he was supposed to show up at a, i think it was a a WrestleMania. Yeah, it was, it was it was a pay-per-view. Yeah. Everybody is like, you know, call time is XYZ and, you know, it's okay if you're a little bit late or if you say uh, I'm supposed to be here, it's supposed to be one, but then you're like, okay, I'll be there at three, if, especially if you're a star or something, they don't really give you too much shit. But it's like th- five or six o'clock and they're like, Brian's not here. He hasn't called. Nothing has happened. So they called the, um, the hotel where he was and they're like, I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Mr. Pillman is dead. is dead. And they couldn't believe it at first, like, but you know, that's the thing. Like, he was only thirty-five when he passed, and you know, he was by himself in an apartment or a, a hotel. So it, I don't think there's any like nefarious shit going on with that. Yeah, but. it was an atrial sclerotic heart disease. Yeah, which also had led to the death of Pillman's father. But from years of abuse, it attributed to his heart attack yeah. in his sleep. Uh, but it, it's a good uh, doc. It's called a Dark Side of the Ring. It's been out, I think we're in season three now. So it's been around for a while. And it showcases a lot of the different wrestlers over the years that have faced like just demons and... Had, hard times. Well, yeah, there's one. I can't remember the wrestler's name, but he used to create probably back like late 70s, early 80s. Uh, very crazy wrestler, but uh, he ended up getting stabbed in Mexico. What? Uh, yeah, and they, like, it, it, I'll have to show you sometime when I can find it, but one more crazier type things that you'd ever find in, you know, wrestling, because you just don't hear about as much, and I'm sure wrestling general doesn't want these kind of stories to be the forefront of what they do. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting fact. Um, Alexis Reed, who was Brian's stepdaughter, she got into WWF as she she was a female wrestler. And she did pass, not from drugs or anything, but it was like a really crazy car accident mm. one night. Um, his other son, his biological son, Brian, they show this in the documentary that I mean, Brian is older, and he decides he wants to be a wrestler. A wrestler. And everybody's like, what? Really? And he's he's really starting to to catch on. Um, I mean, here's a picture of him right now. He's doing the whole, uh, like his dad, with the mullet thing and shaved on the side. And he is um, working in all elite wrestling and major league wrestling. And so he's he's been in the independent circuit for a while. He works in all elites wrestling and major league wrestling. So he's working his way through like the lower level wrestling and he's... Well, AEW is pretty big. It's That's actually televised now. Um, so that's pretty cool that he's in there. I mean, it's hard not to root for this guy. You know, he's clearly, as Neko pointed out when he was younger, really had some self-image issues and you know, just, and he's the young, he's he's the the baby without right. besides Skyler, which they didn't mention at all in the documentary, <laughs> because there's I it was clearly done by Brian's yeah. kids, and and they think that Skyler was the result of illegitimate, uh, yeah, an illegitimate child. 
So anyway, check it out. Dark Side of the Ring series. It's definitely on Hulu right now. Um, I think it's... It might be A&E, or I'm not sure what the original um, channel is that it appears on, but uh, it's worth it. Check it out. It's a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of great information. Yes, it is. All right, well, let's get back into some music. Got some Slot Bath and Black Curse in here, but we're going to kick it off some brand new Ancient Wisdom. They haven't had an album out since, I believe, 2004, somewhere in there. So this is the first one in quite a while. Pretty good record, though. So this is And God Saw.
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. All right, we're back. Back in black. Got to talk a little bit about Mr. Roger Corman, the director who is always critically overlooked and underappreciated for exploitation films. <laughs> Got a chance to check out the uh, documentary uh, Cor- Corman's World. Instead of Cool World, it's Corman's World. Hey, hey. Although you could say it's Cool World. Uh, I found this documentary very interesting because... I always knew who Roger Corman was through different films and whatnot, but I never realized, like, how big of an impact he actually was and, like, how many films he actually did and how many... How many careers that he... Helped jumpstart. Yeah. Not both just acting, but directors as well. I mean, he's worked with Scorries, uh, worked with actors like Bruce Dern, Ron Howard, uh, Jack Nicholson. Jack played a huge part in a lot of his early films. Uh... But this doc really goes through and talks about his history with filmmaking from a young age, uh, and also just like how he was like this Hollywood rebel. Like he, there's a point later in the doc that he's getting an award, an Oscar for the Lifetime Achievement Award, and basically, you know, he's he he really thought when, like when Jaws had that first blockbuster you know he thought that was kind of the beginning of the end because star wars and all that he said well these guys are all doing what i've been doing for years but But now they got the big budget the big budgets the bigger money and he was asked by an interviewer one time like so you don't think directors should get or should have like big budgets like no And and then asked him why and he said well you could really take like $35 million. Of course, this is back in the early 80s. You could take $35 million and give it to inner city kids or families and whatnot, help build up the, the neighborhoods and whatnot. So he kind of felt like smaller budgets can get you big money, but he didn't think that bigger budgets were a good idea for the long haul. Of course, this was many years ago, so now we're in 2021, and, you know... We already know what the history is with movies and directors and actors making big bucks and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, speaking of Nicholson, who had been in a lot of his films, like Jack has is being interviewed in this documentary as well. And uh, towards the end, you know, he talks about how Roger really was a great guy and who really was important to a lot of them. And, you know, he even broke down a little bit. Uh, almost crying to the point that he was so appreciative of what Roger Corman did for him, and a lot of uh, a lot of directors and actors all said the same thing. I mean, Bruce Dern, when he went to do his first movie with Corman, he's interviewed. He's he had said he had asked Roger, said, "Well, how many of these you've done?" And Roger's like a hundred, and he's like, "Really?" <laughs> and this is like before, like probably around seventy two, seventy three, mm-hmm. so. So it was really kind of surprising for Bruce at that time, like how many he already been doing at that point. So, you know, it's just funny that you know some of the movies that he did all range from "It Conquered the World," 
the Fast and the Furious, no relation to the other movie, but it dealt with race cars and stuff. Uh, a Bucket of Blood, which most horror fans would know. The Wasp Woman, also. House of Usher, he did a lot of stuff for um, Hammer Films uh, and stuff like that. You got Little Shop of Horrors, Pit and the Pendulum, uh, The Intruder, The Raven, which, you know, he worked with uh, Vincent Price a lot. And even in that movie, I think uh, Nicholson is in there because you just don't really recognize him too much because he's so young. But uh, he is in there. Uh, Wild Angels, uh, he worked with Peter Fonda, which is a big uh, part of that uh, career for him. The Trip, that's one movie we want to kind of check mm-hmm. out. That looks like amazing. I, I did remember Bloody Mama, and I, I was really young when I saw that. I remember how actually bloody it was. Like, it was crazy. But uh, uh, Robert De Niro's in that, a young, young Robert De Niro. So uh, that's interesting mm-hmm. in that. Uh, Caged Heat, that's a very popular movie that people know about. Death Race 2000, you can't forget that. Mm-hmm. One of Stallone's first films. Uh, what do we got? Grand Theft Auto, no relation to the game. That starred Ron Howard when he was young. Well, I thought that was the one that he um, directed. He did, he did, sorry. Uh, he, But he, I think it was set up by Corman. It was, right. and what I, I, I think it was Grand Theft Auto got picked up by something, and they paid the studio a million dollars or something, and he's like, oh, wow, that's really great, Roger. He's like, yeah, your 7% is, uh, seems really nice now, doesn't it? But my 92% is fantastic. <laughs> um, movies, more movies I'm a little bit more familiar with uh, because of the time period. Uh, Piranha, 1978, definitely one. I did not realize he had directed that just because I wasn't paying much attention to that kind of stuff. I just loved the movie. You do Ro- like Piranha. Rock and Roll High School, uh, PJ Souls, the Ramones, you all know that. The Howling, he actually acted in that for Joe Dante. That's how that connection is kind of there. Uh, Galaxy of Terror, uh, very low-budget horror, uh, but has Sid Haig, and I believe Robert England's in that as well. Uh, Forbidden World... Uh, Slumber Party Massacre 2. We're starting to get in the 80s a little bit. Terror Within. I saw that in the drive-in, so did not know. Again, Corman was there with that. Uh, what do we got? Um, he actually was an actor as FBI Director Hayden Burke in Silence of the Lambs. I know! <laughs> uh, Carnosaur. I remember that. That's a long time ago. Early 90s film. I mean, there's just so many shit that he's directed. Uh, he acted in Philadelphia. Uh, let's see, what else we got here? Wasp Woman, again, I guess it must have been uh, another director. Okay, re- remake, alright. Uh, it looks like, yeah, a lot of these are like just um, some are remade, rebooted. So, and, that's, and that's okay, what we're, what we're learning about. Him. Yeah, I think, I think once he realized that, you know, he didn't really want to use the big budgets, he stayed active, but he was doing producing more and directing and writing and stuff like that so you know like shark shark versus werewolf he's producer on that uh death race 2050 so he, he keeps active with a lot of this stuff but uh not as much as he used to of course he's getting older too so that his guy's wife, yeah so and his wife they were you know it's their company and she was executive producing a lot of things and she sat down one night with him, this is years ago, she's like, Roger, we have to talk about what we're working on together. Like, yeah, literally. Yeah, I'm, I'm not in the loop. I don't know what we're doing. She's like, people will be like, what's what's Roger working on? And she's like, I have no idea. Cause, so she, they had to sit down and talk about 
And she said that Roger's like, oh, well, I'm directing ten movies right now and started naming them. And he's like, I can't remember the last two. Well, I'm going to cut those two because I can't remember the last two. Right. Uh, now, obviously, stuff like Dino Shark or Dino Croc, what he's, what he's done has gone straight to the sci-fi channel. Uh, he, I think he loves that stuff because he's done a, a couple of those that were like straight to the sci-fi. You saw him in the end of the dock and he's on the phone with somebody and he's like, yeah, sci-fi thinks that we need more uh, gore on this part. And so I think he's really appreciating a lot of the sci-fi stuff um, because I think what happened after Star Wars and after um, Jaws when you were seeing like these B-type movies that are getting these big budgets, he, um, a lot of his stuff kind of ended up being direct-to-VHS, and now he's embracing the direct-to-cable type stuff. Yeah, the wife, uh, really nice woman, she was, you know, basically saying that, ironically enough, Roger would reboot himself, so he would spend time doing these movies, and then when the, uh, studios would start putting pressure on him to do this or that with his stuff and t- try to take away the power. He'd be like, nah, you know, I'm just going to quit and go do something else and he'd restart over and just build up again. So that was kind of smart on his part. Like, instead of, like, in his words, sort of selling out to the big man and allowing him to dictate what he has in his films, he was able to just, either it was a clause in his contracts or whatever, he would just leave and then just start over. And he'd have, of course, not have the budgets at the time, but he would use his own money and then build his way back up. And that's really kind of smart, especially at the time that he was doing that, back in the 70s and 80s. So uh, that's a pretty impressive for him. You know, obviously he, during the 60s and 70s, he used a lot of the, not so much the topics, but he would be influenced by what was going on around him. So he was like an activist in some ways with that. And uh, he'd kind of use those themes in his movies, so, like... And he was saying, like, people are asking for XYZ movie, and we're going to give them that in the text, but we're going to ha- push our agenda in the subtext. Right. Uh, you know, so you get that with the, the Wild Angels with Peter Fonda or Easy Rider, you know, kind of like, that's kind of that theme. Uh, you know, he, in the movie The Trip, we kind of forgot, he also worked with Dennis Hopper when he was really young, so it's kind of cool seeing these old clips of these younger guys that, you know, I got, I didn't really notice. Like, even when I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in the 80s, which became my favorite of the series, I didn't really know who Dennis Hopper was at the time. I, it didn't occur to me until, like, the 90s when he, he started picking up with, like, Speed and all these uh, true romance and stuff like this. I'm like, oh, well, he's really well-known and well-liked. And so here it is, like, I'm going back kind of seeing these older films with Hopper I'm like wow man this is cool shit and this guy was another one who was sort of used a lot by Roger Corman in his films so it's just funny because they said that Roger was always kind of nicknamed the king of the bees B-rated movies so the fact that he was able to have the kind of career that he did was pretty impressive on many levels um, guy's still alive, kicking, he's still going, so that's cool. Um, but it was good to see he finally got acknowledged for all the work that he put in, because really, he did kind of set up Hollywood to be what it is, in a way, because without all his films, like, you know, he just... But he also, 
what we what I was seeing and what really he like with Ron Howard, he's like, yeah, go ahead, direct that film. And how many like how well respected is Ron Howard now as a director? Same thing with like Jack Nicholson and Peter Fonda and all these amazing actors where they're like I worked with Roger way back when and it was like Roger believed in people and Roger was not like a snob he was not kind of like oh I need to have these these well-established people in my my films he wanted he wanted to get his his films done and I forgot what actor it was he was kind of just an extra remember he's like yeah i need you to be an extra can you play can you play a cowboy and can you play a, a native american and then like he ended up being the cowboy and then shooting himself as right. the native american yeah he, he was made up enough in the native american after we couldn't really totally recognize him but he's like yeah they didn't have enough people so i played both roles and i ended up shooting myself i thought that was a funny comment uh, that happens a lot with this film. I know Ron, when uh, they were doing Grand Theft Auto, was like, I need more extras. And, he's uh, like, nope. He, nope. And, but, you know, he's tutoring tutoring uh, Ron at that time about, like, you know, just do this, this, and this, and it'll work out fine, and you never have to work with me again. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's like, and if you do well, you'll never have to work with me again. Right. So it's just, it's fun. Just, <clears throat> there's a lot of great personal stories in there. Uh, we kind of laugh because I think there's a guy named Alan Akash and Joe Dante who are being interviewed for this. And we know Dante, of course, from The Howling. Um, there's actually older footage when they're younger being interviewed about Corman. And, like, they look almost the same. It's, like, retarded. Uh, you just, nowadays, are older. But, you know, Dante still got this, like, vest on. <laughs> and Alan's got the curly, frizzy hair. Uh, just older. But, <laughs> but was, they still look exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, it's just like they just jumped into the, the DeLorean and went back in time and then, you know, did the interviewer came back. It's just, it's fucking hilarious. But it's really good. Uh, it's on Tubi, I think. We watched that. We love Tubi. So, Nubis and Neko say check it out. Two thumbs up. Yep. Let's get back into some music. Got some stuff from Angel PR and Kabar PR with Veritas and Out of Nowhere. But here's some brand new stuff from Edu Falashi. Land Ahoy. Land Ahoy. Land Ahoy.
for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. 
Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stafford is a professional, friendly, and is highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you. We're back, getting ready to jump into our rock block. Oh my god, the rock block! We got some classic stuff from Darkness and Judas Priest. <gasps> also got some new stuff from The Word 6-6, Electric Haze and Side Project, as well as Neko Pick of the Week. I actually previewed that song and I'm like, I think I've heard this before, but then I don't remember this pick of the week is... Now, granted, this isn't what Neko initially wanted, so I have to, I'm have going to talk to her after we go back and start playing, but uh, this pick is definitely a band that most people refer to a lot. They, they often forget about them, but then they're... I did not forget about them when I was in high school. It was 99% of my... Maybe not 99%. I, I listened to that band, and I listened this band that's going to come up in Sublime, like, a lot. And it's funny because I was in high school from 94 to 98, and this band, a lot of their music was an 80s type thing, but it kind of had a resurgence because we had this really, really popular alternative station in, in Baltimore that they were so popular. There were huge festivals and concerts that they promoted, and this band that is coming up later, they were on there a lot, and I just... Part of it to me is I kind of get the feeling of being a teenager in my powder blue Dodge Omni that would not go over 50 miles an hour. And I still. Somehow I think you spent a lot of time in an Omni. <laughs> oh, I. Well, you gotta remember. But I can't, but I can't really diss that because, like, you know, when I was younger and a teen, that's all I did. Like, I knew if I knew I can get out of the house. I just go cruising. Well, and of course, we used cassettes back then. But. I didn't even have a um, cassette or a CD player in my car until the um, the radio broke. And my dad he used to be a service manager for a Dodge dealership, and he pulled an because again it was an older car. He pulled an older one out of another car, a CD player that would fit in, in the Omni, and he put it in there for me because my car needed service. But you gotta remember, um, I was a, a big commuter. I would drive from my house to college, and then from college to Corporate Express. So you're talking going from Rosedale to Elkridge, Monday through Friday, and you know Elkridge back to to Sparrow's Point where I was living. So it was a lot of driving in that car. And even though I could literally walk to school, and when I, this is not a long walk by any stretch of the means. My sister and I did it all the time in high school. But after I got my driver's, I was, I'm in that weird uh, age category where when I started school, they, um, you didn't have to be five to start school. So I was only four when I started kindergarten. So when I graduated high school, I was only 17, and I got my driver's license. A super genius. I'm not a super genius. They just started me early because... They call me a prodigy. 
I'm no, no, I'm no prodigy. Uh, I'm sure if I was falling behind, they would have been like, you need to hold your daughter behind. But they, um, I got my license when I was 16, but it was like 16 and a half. So this was my senior year that I got the Omni. Um, it was like right before I started school. And my sister and I were both in high school. I'm a senior, she's a sophomore, and she's the opposite. She has a super early birthday. So she's one of the first people who turned 16. And um, we would drive to school. So this is literally a three minute drive to school. It's a 10 minute walk. We would go and pick up a friend of ours. We'd go to get coffee and egg McMuffins at, at McDonald's. So there's a lot of like, you know, time in that car. All, I mean, I had fuzzy cow car seats. I had stickers all over it. I thought I was the shit. And we did this thing. Granted, if you don't know what a Dodge Omni is, look it up. It looks like a box with wheels. And it is not a fancy car by any means, but we did this thing. It's a glorified Yugo. It is. And <laughs> they did this thing in high school for the seniors. It was like a little part seniors and their cars. And I don't know if I ever showed you this picture of me in my high school yearbook, but it was me, like I was laying on the hood of my car, but it was not like that a... That seems to be a Maryland thing. Chris did the same thing. It's not a sexy BMW. pose, though. It's like me and I'm laying on my Omni, but it's cold out, so I've got jeans and a sweater. And remember, this is grunge and everything, so I've got the sweater, plus I've got like the... Um, the flannel shirt. The flannel shirt over my sweater, and I've got like the big chunky boots, and I'm like, just kind of like, you know laying with one hand under my head and it's like Melissa it's there's a little caption it's like Melissa remembers all the good times she had in her car I'm like that's right I do and it, it's just it's so me too well like, we'll hear more when you're picking <laughs> she's gonna tell you the whole thing now we, that's not the way I know I'm sorry good <laughs> all right well we'll kick it off though this is stuff from Curtain Call Records side project it's not a title it's a label
Coastal visits nightly. And it haunts all of your dreams. But Coastal visits nightly. And it haunts all of your dreams. But Coastal visits nightly.
What's up everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up.
right, the darkness with Japanese prisoner of love. I kind of like that. I told you I thought it sounded cute, but I, I don't want to be like, oh, that's so cute because it's rock. But it it had a really nice, you know, like. Well, they got the band itself was like they got like really popular, maybe late nineties. I don't know. They had a song called uh, a thing called love, and uh, oh yeah. I believe in a thing called yep. love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they are uh, still putting out records, and they and they, you know, are pretty popular in certain circles. Uh, I got a chance to check out some of their other stuff. Found that song, which is pretty cool. Touching you. <laughs> yeah, I used to make fun of that song a lot because of that. But, but it's uh, so fucking catchy. Yeah. And that's what I was saying about this song. I was like, it's 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 like got a cute little beat to it, and. Oh, yeah. But I think at the time, I wasn't sure if they were, like, mocking hair rock. But they actually play that style. Like, that's their thing. And it's just the voice is different than what you normally would hear. But uh, pretty good band, nevertheless. So, tell us a little more about your pick of oh, the week. Oh, a little more about my pick of the week? You she wanna gave hear... you the whole format before. <laughs> so, we're going to pick up where I left off back in the Blue Dodge Omni. But we're also going to throw in... Um, I, when I was in high school, I used to do photography, and for you, you youngins who might be listening, this is like film photography, so when you would develop your 35 millimeter rolls of film, you literally had to go into a completely black, blacked out, pitch black room, because this is black and white photography, and any like little sliver of light could ruin your exposures. And you don't spend a lot of time in the pitch black because as soon as you, like, reel it up and put it in the tank, you're good to go. But it was funny because in order to... And I'm I'm trying to think, like, I know 35mm is not really popular anymore because this is 2021. But if you've ever seen a 35mm roll of film, it has, like, a little cap on the top and a cap on the bottom. So you would literally take a can opener... The, a bottle opener like you use for your beer pop the lid off of the top and then you'd slide it out and then there was this reel it um it was like a double wheel and you'd feed it onto it and you'd have to like take the wheel and alternate swish 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 and it made that swishing noise swish 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 so we had two separate dark rooms one was for putting the film into the tank to develop the film and the other was for actually using the enlarger and that's the one that you see in movies and stuff where it's like the red light and being in the dark room alone is even if you have the red light is lonely and both of our dark rooms were equipped with boom boxes which is not a thing really anymore because everybody has their phones and we didn't have you know phones that played music back then so We'd have our mixtapes and our mix CDs, and you know, you pop it into the CD player to kind of keep yourself from being like it's really fucking dark in here. There might be a monster that comes through and pulls me into oblivion. This band that is going to be represented right now, I don't know what it was about the photography community. We were all very into like the grunge scene, but this is not like a grunge, this is more of a punk band. We all love this band. 
my photography and I did photography all through high school and I never really picked back up into it and I don't know why because I you've seen some of my work it was kind of good you know it was I mean for a teenager it's not bad and it was we just enjoyed being together and we enjoyed you know doing the work that we did and I even still keep in contact with my high school photography teacher because she would um she was the type of teacher who was very encouraging she was the type who um she wanted you to try different things she would give you assignments like okay your assignment this week is to film to capture on film um an event from beginning to end and it she'd leave it very open-ended so that you know sometimes people would be like an event oh okay well i'm gonna take pictures of a concert from beginning to end or I'll take pictures of the school day from beginning to end and I I chose this is kind of funny I chose my my dance teachers bridal shower from beginning to end and you know you take pictures of all like what's set up and then you take pictures of the person coming in and saying surprise and then you take pictures uh, and that's what you do at a bridal shower but you never think of it as an event from beginning to end you just think of it as creating memories and um, when you start understanding how to use a camera and the different types of you know if you change the shutter speed and you change the depth of field so all of us together in this photography class we were all kind of and I it, it kind of the artsy because I went to I went to an art of uh, performing arts and visual arts high school and my focus was photography and dance and we were the artsier type people even though I'm just a nerd anyway for whatever reason we all gravitated in the art community to this group and the group I'm speaking of is the Violent Femmes. I don't know why we would have their like best of just on repeat we would be in the in the dark room dancing around to the music um, Again, I once I got a CD player in my car, and I'm driving around. I'm listening to the Violent Femmes. I, I don't know why. It was just something. It's quirky. It's very, very. You you kind of mix the acoustic with the. Um, I don't want to say like it's acoustic with a little bit of an edge, but it's not acoustic where you're thinking of like. Um, Bob Dylan type acoustic because it's a harder acoustic but it's not like electric guitars like you're hearing in Van Halen right. so it's kind of like wild listening to them taking an acoustic guitar and making it sound like really mean because that's what it sounds like the way that they're playing the guitar it's like an angry acoustic guitar and everybody <laughs> when they play acoustic guitar they're thinking like kumbaya and love and the hippies in the in the 70s they have taken it to the point where it, it just sounds like the guitar is angry. And I, I dug it, and I was introduced to this band probably when I was in 10th grade. So this is like back 95, which this band had already been, Violent Femmes had already been around for a while, and I just never picked up on them. But in the kind of the art community here in Baltimore, Violent Femmes kind of really, really was... And I don't know why it was it was kind of like our our band but I really love this next song it is it has a little bit of the ska part like because I love ska too so it has a little ska 
feeling to it before ska was a thing. It has the angry acoustic guitars, and more than anything, it just kind of like takes me back. And that's one beautiful thing I love about my pick of the week. I always kind of like, I, I always feel like I know where I was the first time I heard the song, and literally it was in photography class, and I heard it 8,000 times over and over again. So for this week, my pick of the week, it is the Violent Femmes with their wonderful, wonderful song, Add It Up. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. DJ Neko's pick of the week. After day, I will walk and I will play, but the day after today, I will stop, and I will start And I need a kiss Why can't I get just one screw? Why can't I get just one screw? Believe me, I know what to do But something won't let me make love to you For just one day after day, I get angry and I will say that the day is in my sight when I take a bow and say goodnight. Oh my mama, mama, oh my mom, have you kept your eye, your eye on your son? You've had problems, you're not the only one When your sugar left, you left you on the run So mow my mama, mama, mow my mom Take 
take a look now at what your boy has done He's walking around like he's number one He went downtown and he got all my guns Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me You know you got my sympathy But don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me Don't shoot, shoot, shoot that thing at me Affairs, share a smoke, make a joke, grasp and reach for a leg of hope. Words to memorize, words hypnotize, words make my mouth exercise. Words all fail the magic prize. Nothing I can say when I'm in your thighs. Come on, my, 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 my mother. I would love to love you, lover. City's restless, it's ready to pounce. Put you in your bedroom, ounce for ounce and more. I'm gonna add it up Don't wanna fall this deep again 
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. After all that, I still don't think I understand the plot of Spookies. You know what we need? We need one of those custom rap songs like at the end of Maniac Cop 2 last week. But I don't know where we... John! Yo! We got a guy named Duke and a proper name Mook. Happy birthday, Billy. Here's a bunch of balloons. You're gonna be buried alive very soon by a cat boy in a gold vest. It's confusing. In a gray suit, he's hanging out with teens. It's inexplicable. And who's this other guy up in the attic? Talking to a princess, starting some static. He seems to like chess. Does he own the mansion? But we're not off at any plot expansion. Here comes the Ouija board. Yuki, what's a spooky? I have no idea what's going on in this movie. Hey, we watch spookies. It's very So is it the Ouija board or the guy in the attic who wakes up the spookies? I don't know! Yo, I'm a spooky and I'm here to say I'm really, really spooky in a major way You're talking trash about the plot? Is that all you got? The street trash director was a steady cam The only thing we need are spooky thrills So sit back, relax, and take a chill pill Or drown out your sorrows in alcohol While we lay out this very super spooky roll call There you have it, the Spookies rap from last night on Joe Bob Briggs' last drive-in. So we'll rock and reverse since that was the opener for this. Uh, I have never seen Spookies, but you say you've seen it a few times, and and you enjoy Spookies because of the Spookies. Spookies. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's again as Joe Bob put it, it's one of those movies that's so bad it's so good. Uh, I'm not even sure that makes it to just so good. I, it, it just there are it, it's entertaining. Like I love you know cheesy '80s horror films, and this, we love the cheese. Yeah, this one's clearly not one of the better ones of that era. But uh, I always love when Joe Bob finds like shit like this and puts it up there because you know it's one I haven't seen in a while. And Neko had never seen. She had never seen the first movie either. But uh, 
So yeah, basically, just like the song says, like there's really hey, there's, we got a spooky. <laughs> there, there's no like direct plot. Like you have to explain though where that song came from. Right. Well, the thing is, as Joe Bob puts it, like you, you always find out interesting tidbits and information about the movies he shows, which is great because you know I learn a lot of cool stuff that way. This movie was titled uh, Twisted Soul or something at one point. And they'd already shot like 45 minutes of the film before it was taken over by somebody else. So then they just start adding in stuff. So you got stuff that just doesn't seem like it belongs and that's the reason why. There's no coherent plot. But the plot that we can sort of get is that we have this warlock <laughs> dude, dude who's trying to <laughs> I love it, really dude trying to uh he's got like I, she's not even really dead like I don't know it's weird cause, she's like in a coffin yeah so he's got this girl that he loves and she doesn't love him clearly but he's waited 70 years now he wants to bring her back from the coffin and tell her how much more he loves her and she's like no this is why I killed myself the first time <laughs> He's like, but you belong to me. But uh, he's got this little sidekick called the Werecat that runs around and directs all the killings. And it's like a man, but... It's a man, baby. I, I don't even... He keeps calling him the Werecat, and it looks like a man with, like... I, I, describe it. Like, I can't describe it. it he's not, he doesn't even look like a cat. He's just... No, he, he's, like, fucked up looking. Yeah, he's got. He almost looks like a really dark elf. Really, is what it comes down. To. And plus, he's got a hook on one hand, so I, I don't know what the yeah, fuck's yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, we've got these two groups of uh, youngsters. We'll put that in parentheses. Oh, cause, our quotes, because one couple of them look older than dirt. Look to be daddy age. Oh, yeah. The one guy's got, like, gray hair and a receding hairline. <laughs> These 20-somethings uh, show up to the house just to throw a party. Like, they're not even welcome there. They they don't have anything there. They think there's no power. They just go there because they want to spark up a party. They're, so they're they, like, it doesn't look like anybody's there. Right. So they, they break in anyway. <laughs> and, uh, of course, yeah, the warlock's like, yes, that's all how I planned. <laughs> So he's got this grand scheme uh, where they're all going to die in the house. So anyway, one of the girls, they discovered it just like this pretty cool Ouija board, actually. Uh, With a really cool planchette. Yeah, so it's got that going on for it. Uh, so the girl starts, like, getting real serious, and she starts asking her questions. And, of course, dumb questions like, what's your age? When are you going to die? And it says, you're going to die tonight. And they're like, it's not very funny. You're You're not funny. Of course, this is all controlled by the warlock, the great mastermind, the evil genius. So, at one point, the girl kind of running the Ouija board turns into, like, which is like a Evil Dead cast-off. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so she starts, like, telling him, Yeah, you gotta die! Yeah! And so, like, all of a sudden, they try to leave the house, and then one guy gets sucked into the gra the graves out there by the tombstones that are surrounding this house. Uh, which I think Joe Bob said belonged to some it was, mayor or something of the town they were in? No, it was the um, a U.S. Justice. Yeah, oh, okay. Shit, what is it? 
have to look it up now. But apparently when he passed, the family didn't really want it, so they kind of just let it run down. Because <laughs> they were trying to sell it. And then when the, this this team of uh, movie makers came in, they had to, like, kind of get the electricity working. They had to, like, board up windows or, you know, put windows in. So they kind of spruced it up to the point where now you can kind of sell it. Anywho, uh, that was indirectly well, not not something they wanted to do, but they had to do just to make the movie. And uh, so now the group, is, the remaining group, is back inside the house. They're doing these different rooms and whatnot and coming across various things. They've got the skeleton reaper who's out there at one point who falls off the roof and blows up. I don't know why. I can't tell you. Neither can Joe Bob. Uh, my favorite is the guy there with the puppet, the mook. We call him the Mook. That was his name! Right. The Mook. Uh, he finds his way down in some sort of like underground cavern or cave. And this hot Asian chick's like, yeah, I know where your friends are. Come follow me. And so, like, he does and discovers that, like, he gets stuck in, like, this spiderweb that's not really... It's, like, more like rope. But, <laughs> but for the sake of argument, it's a spiderweb. And, uh... So then she's like starts transforming into this huge spider that's ugly as sin, and then it was a, a halfway decent transformation. For oh yeah, like yeah. What this it, movie old was. school special effects? You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, so uh, she comes up, and you know, some like almost like the alien job pops out, sucks the dude dry, and like shrivels up. So I just thought that scene was cool in the movie. Uh, just adds to the, my hatred for spiders, but you know that's how it is. <laughs> we respect spiders. We respect a we spider. We don't hate spiders. What is it like? Uh, love spiders. Don't eat them. Is that what it is? Well, I like to take spiders and spiders and are friends. They're not my friends food. because they eat other bugs. So, anywho, uh, really, by the end of it, we've got a lot of cool zombies and. You know, uh, somehow the girl that hates the warlock had a kid with him. Somehow, I don't know what the fuck that was, but he's like some little Jawa. He runs around in a Jawa costume. Looks like a vampire. Where the fuck did Billy come from? I'm still trying to figure that, out. Like that, Billy was there for like a 30 second thing. That and was then... the added info, uh, stuff at the beginning. At first, like, I thought that Werecat had turned into the regular dude that was asking him for a light. But that was like a whole different dude. Like, what what was his purpose there? Like, he gets killed by Werecat, but then I'm like, well, what was dude's intention? Was he going to kill Billy? Like, because <laughs> he just popped up out of nowhere, too. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then, of course, Billy, at the beginning, he's, like, discovering it. He ran away because it was his birthday and his parents didn't remember. But then he found the special house and he's like... <gasps> Happy birthday, Bill! And these balloons are the most depressing balloons you've ever seen. They're like half, like inflated, and some of them are like drooping down. And he's like, "Oh, you guys remember? Thank you. Oh, look, it's a robot. Oh my goodness!" And he blows out his candles, and that's when you know Billy goes away. Right. So just a bunch of different shit happens, and just craziness. Um, Eventually, uh, at the end, like, again, more chaos. No one knows what's going on. Uh, so, yeah, the the girl that's been in the coffin for 70 years, she, like, somehow stabs Warlock in the head, forehead with a, like, screwdriver or something. 
uh, and then runs away, but then is chased for zombies outside, and she finally gets in his car with some random dude. Who, yes, like, that's a good idea. Another random dude just pops out of nowhere with his car sitting there, and that turns out to be where he's like, yeah, I loved you too, and all sorts of stupid shit, and that's how the movie ends. It, it, it is a, a bad movie, but it's a good movie if you like cheap entertainment like that, like we do. Uh, but we'll get on to uh, movie number one, which, again, Neko had not seen. I'd already seen it a couple times. And apparently most of the people who were watching Joe Bob last night had not seen it either. So there's a lot of people that liked it. Uh, it's a nice little movie uh, called Train to Busan. Mm. And uh, so good. Korean uh, zombie flick uh, starring um, Gu Yu, Gong Yu, Mon Dong Seok, Jong Yi Mi, Kim Soo Won, and many, many more. And basically, the premise is you've got a chemical leak at a biotech plant causes the start of a zombie apocalypse that rapidly spreads across South Korea. And our main person is a guy that apparently he's a fund manager that works there. And he's in the process of picking up his daughter from school, and I think it's his ex-wife that... Mm-hmm, it's his ex-wife. Right, so he's taking her to the train to take her back home, and of course his ex-wife stays with the mother-in-law or something, or something like that, the grandmother, I don't know, because uh, he talks to her occasionally on the phone during the trip. Uh, but as soon as they get on the train, like, shit's breaking mm-hmm. out. You see people, to- like... Like, literally at the train station, the little girl looks out the window and someone gets jumped by somebody else. And you, you think it's like, you don't really know what's going on at first, except for the beginning of the movie when uh, this guy taking livestock somewhere hits a deer. And he drives off and then all of a sudden, a minute later, the, the deer is like popping back up and has white eyes. <laughs> so a lot of crazy shit going on there. Uh, and then it just kind of tells there's someone who, before they get off, before they leave with the train... Uh, a young girl guy gets on who's been attacked and this is when the shit starts up on the train where that person transforms into a zombie and this shit works quick 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 yeah like we're talking like seconds quick so a minute you're bitten less than a minute you're popping back up and it's like chaos all over the place so we've got a, a lot of transmuters on here who are you know, you got a soccer team of sorts, it looks like. It's a baseball team. Baseball team, yeah, sorry. Uh, explains the baseball bats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you've got business people, families, um, just various... Which is cool about this movie, because it, it's actually kind of an emotional movie with many different scenes that you don't think you would get involved with emotionally with the zombie flick, but they, this movie does a really good job with that. And... Uh, so the outbreak starts, and of course, you, they're, these zombies are funny because they're fast, they, they can attack quickly, they're, they're strong. But, but they're not smart, right. and they don't see well. Right, yeah, so like, if you pass through a tunnel, like, they just kind of lose track of what's going on, they can't really see. Uh, and then, of course, these each car, the train, only has like a sliding door, but they can't figure that out. Like, so if you close it on, on them... They're just beating against a little plexiglass. They can't understand it. Oh, if I just <laughs> move it to the left, I can just pop in. They don't. They're not smart to figure that out. Uh, but they do like 
it's almost like World War Z. They they kind of like crawl over each other to get to wherever they need to get to. So. And you got to remember, this is happening in a train, so it's a very very small, narrow space. Yep. And so, for the entire movie, they're trying to survive. Uh, you know, getting through this stuff because there's each car like it just has like something going on in it. So. Mm-hmm. And eventually they get to one location uh, where they get off, and it's pretty empty. Like, just, that's the way it's been going on. Like, you know, people are dying, and uh, everything's being abandoned. People are probably leaving the city or whatever is going on. But they, they try to get off at this station, and it, apparently a, a military group had been there to try to To, slow. like, neutralize the situation. <laughs> right. And they ended up getting infected, so then it's chasing them back to the train. Because everybody was like, okay, you need to go to the main, you know, section, and everybody was doing that except for the main character. He had gotten information, don't go to the main station, go to the other station. And he was doing that with his daughter, and then another man overheard him on the phone and said, I'm going with you guys. And then the daughter was, she's very young, maybe like nine years old. She yeah. was she was like, we can't let all these people die. And then they go back and then they see that the, it's like zombie military. Yeah, the, the, the one constant in here is the father, uh, Seo Seok Woo. Uh, he, you know, he has trouble thinking about other people. Like, he's a very business-oriented man, career-minded uh, he has a hard time with his daughter because he promises to make her recitals and stuff and he never shows up. And there's this tension there with the daughter and him a little bit. She loves him clearly, but uh, she just doesn't like that he's very narrow-minded with stuff. And when she discovers very smartly that he's got inside information on how to get somewhere safe but not, without telling anyone else from the train, she gets really angry about it and upset. Uh, of course, as Neka pointed out, they run across more zombies and they have to run back to where they were. Uh, at that point, they sort of get separated. So the daughter is with another man and his pregnant wife and some other people who they are to get inside the... Uh, or not the not the main guy, the, the father of the pregnant wife, because he's with them fighting off zombies. But the rest of the group have made it onto one particular car in a train. And then there's another group with this asshole businessman and another. And... Uh, Finally, the three of them, it's the it's almost like the homeless guy or whatever mm-hmm. from the beginning. He, uh, the... Yu Sang Hua, who is a tough guy married to the, the pregnant woman. He's, he's a very cool, funny character. Uh, they make it into the, another car. And, of course, they have their cell phones, so they're calling. They can hear from the daughter and the pregnant wife, so they know they're alive. But they're in car nine, whereas the people they need to get to are in car like a... Fourteen? Yeah, something. Fourteen or fifteen. So they're looking. They see like two or three cars that they've got to go through where there's zombies in them and they've been locked off. So they cleverly find ways to get around that. And they finally meet up with their group and, you know, everyone's kind of happy. But now they got to force their way towards the front of the vehicle, uh, the, the engine and everything else, and the car where the rest of the people are. And and that car is where the uh, asshole business guy is because he's just out for himself, clearly. Uh, Since the beginning. Right, yeah, he's just a big, big asshole. He's done nothing. Like, throughout the movie, 
if there's zombies chasing him, he will like push you in front to get you to get killed first, yeah. and then he can get away. Children, women. Yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, there's a nice. Uh, there's a teen couple, a young girl. Oh my god, that was so sad. He did that to the girl, or to the to the kid, and then was it the girl? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, this is after they arrived to. Busan, but they had to stop short because the train tracks were all messed up. It's chaos there too. Yeah, there's fire. There's trains like blocking Off the, rails. the tracks. But uh, the teens are like really the last two of the baseball team. Although the girl was just a fan or whatever, she likes one of the guys, and he was there. But they are making their way to another train. They they left the one and to another. But at this point, uh, businessman decides he's going to leave, but he's like left the door open for all the zombies to get out. Like, he's just a dumb fucking dumbass all the way around. So he makes it to the train where they are, and, again, not shutting it. Well, the girl didn't shut the door either, which didn't help, but he jumps in, throws her in front of the the zombie chasing him, and then continues on out the other door. And now the girl is bit. She's starting to change, but the young guy that is there with her, likes her, and she likes him. He's upset, so he just stays there. He's crying and holding her. Right. Oh, God, it was, Then she bites him, and then that's it for that. Uh, And by, towards the end, we're down to basically the businessman, uh, the main character, his daughter, and the pregnant woman. So we've got four of them, and they're on this lone engine that they've managed to get going towards the rest of the Busan. Um... The businessman had already start. He had already killed the conductor uh, by throwing him in front of the fucking zombies, so he can get on the engine and get away. Even though the conductor came out to help him, uh, so once the main character, father, and the daughter and the pregnant woman get onto the engine, they realize the businessman actually got bit, so he's starting to change. And there's ongoing fight. Uh, and at this point, we this is a spoiler. Businessman uh, bites the dad on the hand, oh. and, but he manages to get the businessman to fall off the engine. But he already knows his destiny's sealed; like it's done. Um, yeah. So he's basically, you know, his daughter's inconsolable, trying to stick with him. He's got her and the pregnant woman locked in the the engine compartment so he can fall off the back of the engine and then of course we get down to the end and uh the pregnant woman and the daughter decide to walk through the tunnel that will take them to the other side where it's safety because there's a bunch of soldiers there they've got it marked off they don't realize that you know people are really paranoid i mean it's just kind of the way it is when you deal with zombie movies but you can kind of see through the tunnel so you can see their uh just like military. The outline like, yeah. of the, the pregnant woman and the daughter. So the guy who's over on the other side with the soldier with the sniper rifle, he's like, well, I see a couple of people coming through, uh, but we don't, we can't give any visual verification if they're zombies or not. So the people on the other end of it, of course, like, well, just kill them and be done with it. So he's yeah, not ready. Yeah, because they don't want to, like, risk any kind of... Right. They're trying to control everything. So, uh, he's about ready to shoot the mother, the, the pregnant woman, and, uh, 
it's at that point that the little girl decides to start singing a song that she had sung or tried to sing it as a recital for her dad. And her dad wasn't there, but she was singing it. It's the uh, it's uh, the Don Ho song, um, Aloha. Yeah. And it's it's um, she was singing it at her recital, and she did she messed up because her dad couldn't make it, and she was really really sad, but she was scared, so she's hugging the la the pregnant lady, and she just starts singing it, I guess, just to comfort herself. Maybe. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's her that plus she's kind of doing it for her dad. I mean, she knows somewhere in her that you know her dad would be there if he could. He didn't stop trying to get to her and everything else. Uh, it, but it's really an emotional moment, and you know, Neko was crying, and you know me, I was. Fine. So was you. So were you. So was you. So were you. Uh, but the little actress, uh, Ma Dong Seok, uh, I don't know, he, he's the guy uh, here. Is he? Kim Suan, yeah. So she's the uh, CEO. Su Actually, her last name is the same as the character name. That's interesting. Uh, she's a young guy, a great actress. Uh, the seeing that while also having tears and crying was like amazing to me. Like she's really good. Uh, it's just a really good movie. Uh, they had a sequel which wasn't as good, not not even near as good. But a lot of people who were watching it last night who hadn't seen were falling in love with it. It's like a, one of the better modern day uh, zombie movies that you can get in this time. Um, and they're fast zombies, which makes it even more terrifying. So you have that, too. Right. Yeah, it has the whole Dawn of the Dead thing, only worse. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so check it out. Uh, very cool. And if you have Shudder, Joe Bob Briggs does his commentary as well as uh, information bits. And, of course, Darcy there doing her little get-ups and whatnot, which they have a video for the rap for Spookies. And it's fucking hilarious. So you got to watch it because it, it goes great along with what they're doing and singing about. So check it out. And we're going to get back into our metal. Uh, got some stuff from Grand Sounds Promotion in here. Uh, also, but we're going to kick it off with a band that contacted me via email. Very cool guys from a band called In Hell. And this is their new track, Histology.
Oblivion. Your subtle omnipresence. Your familiar unshape. Contrasts and confines aberrant. Exuberant springs of life. desires
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright. Sorry for those technical difficulties. Put the wrong intro in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my pick of the week for movie Retro Vault was Killing Zoe. 1994 American French crime film starring Eric Stoltz. Loved it. Yeah, you had never seen that, so uh, that was kind of cool to get your impressions on that, and you were paying attention actually. So that's, I did. I paid attention the whole time. So that's that's always a first. <laughs> Usually, if she uh, if she's not into, it, she'll tune out and go to her phone or something else. But uh, start reading. Right. So uh, yeah, she was checking. I also starred uh, Julie Delpy and. Jean Hughes Anglade is Eric, the crazy man. So basically, what you have is Eric Stoltz plays a gentleman named Zed who is visiting Paris, France, uh, visiting an old friend who is Eric, of course, played by uh, Zed's dead baby Anglade, and uh, he's been invited over to help try to rob a bank and you know a heist of a bank to get some money or whatever it is they're trying to get in there. We realized later on they're got blocks of gold because it's a Federal Reserve. So uh, Eric has convinced uh, Zed to come on over. Now, prior to both of them hooking up and getting together, uh, Zed is in a hotel where he's staying, and he just gets in, so he's got a little bit of a, a little rundown. Uh so he wants to get some rest, but the taxi driver, who's very talkative, is like, yeah, you know, you married? He's like, no. He says, why? I know this girl, man. She would treat you like a wife, you know? So yeah, that's right. He gives him a card. And so when Zed gets into his hotel room, he says, well, you know, why not? So he get, gets in a shower, and uh, lo and behold, Julie Delpy as Zoe shows up. Uh, call girl, escort, however you want to put it. She won't say, you can't say prostitute, she'll slap you. Yeah, she's like, I'm, I'm not st- like the others. I get to choose. I'm a student. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, when 
she first arrives, you know, Zed's very happy and he's like smiling. So they have just a little bit of banter between. And them. it was it was like romantic. This whole like scene with them, and it was quite a long scene. Like they were like hugging and of yeah, course, making love. And- yeah, that was thing. Like I think that because um, one thing that Zoe points out after they have sex is that he's not like other guys she's been with, you know, and. He's nicer, and she can tell he's a good guy and all this. So they're almost like a couple at this point, even though they're not. And then, of course, uh, Eric shows up because uh, I guess they fall asleep in the bed. And when, he's like, oh, you're late, you're late. Eric shows up, and he's like, yeah, yeah, let's get going. So Zoe jumped in the shower, but Eric was, like, impatient. He has no love for women in general, so... He pulls her out and says, man, you can't be hanging around with whores like this. And he throws her out of the room. <laughs> then gives her clothes and lets her be on her way. Yeah, she was out in the hallway naked and she's pissed off. Like, I'm naked, I'm naked, give me my clothes. Right. But so, all in French, too, which made it crazy. Right. So, uh, it does switch over to English. Like, there's parts of French and, of course, English. Uh, so, that plays, it's not a major factor, but it is in there. Uh so Eric has like a big, you know, he takes him to meet the rest of the group that's going to be part of this heist uh, at their apartment or whatever. And Zed knows nothing about these people, mind Nothing. You. Like, he hasn't seen Eric in like 11 years. They were like childhood buddies when they were living in Florida. So he doesn't even know what Eric's been up to. So he's trying to catch up with them while they're, you know, discussing what they're going to be doing. Uh, Zed is a, 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 a safe cracker. That's why he's been recruited uh, by Eric to do this. And uh, right off the bat, we learn these guys are really into drugs. Like, they're just meant that they get into the apartment. They're down in shell sorts of shit. When, when Anubis is really into drugs, I mean, like, heroin, LSD, cocaine, pills that have no uh, name to them. Don't take the red pill. I know, that was funny. So... Eric is like, all right, well, we're going to go out on the town and have some fun. They take him to, like, this old jazz club that's kind of underneath the city. Uh, it's pretty cool, but, you know, they're already flying high at this point. And uh, Eric continues to, like, force feed Zed his drugs. And we mentioned the red pill. It's, I don't know what the fuck it was. It, probably some sort of uh, hallucinogen or something, but... You know, there's a funny part where Zed's like, dude, I think I'm going to die because he has so much drugs in his system and whatnot. And as Neko pointed out, the movie during this time is the camera work is a little bit, like, fuzzy. Like, it's all dependent on the the visual that we're seeing from these guys that are fucked up. So it's, it, it comes off like you're actually fucked up watching the film. So, you know, we at one point we see Zed looking at the band on stage and they've got, like, music notes flying by their heads because it's what he's seen in this trippy out state. Uh, and then we quickly switch over to the next morning and, like, the rest of the guys are, like, up and they're, like, ready to go. Yeah, they're zipping around. Right, they, they have, like, nothing happening. And, like, Zed's like, dude, I feel like death warmed over. I, like, I need some, I need some coffee or something here. But they're getting right to it. And uh, so they show up in their big-ass white truck in front of the bank, and it's pretty quiet, so I don't know. They say it was like a holiday? It was Bastille Day, which yeah. is kind of like the 4th of July for France. It's their French Independence Day. Right. 
So they've got these masks, and this is the thing about this film is it's it feels very much like Reservoir Dogs, and of course it comes a little bit from the creators of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. So there's a lot of that sort of similarity there because they put on these masks, which is one thing I've always thought was funny, and I don't think I didn't mention it in Echo last night, is I had seen this movie, and then I remember in the late 90s when uh, Ramstein came out, for Duhas, they had a very similar vibe. They had the masks. They had the masks. Yep. So it reminded me a lot of this movie when I saw that video. Um, I don't. It think... also reminded me of a Clockwork Orange. Those masks oh, yeah. were really similar. Yeah. So they they're they're all like animals and shit. So they they go in. Uh, they take control of the bank. You know they've got guns. Obviously, uh, apparently Zed knows that they at least have guns because he's got one himself. And so they're, you know, rounding everybody up, of course. They've also, the real funny thing is there's a concierge uh, for the bank played by Ron Jeremy, porn legend. Uh, they called him Ron Jeremy Hyatt in the actual credits, but he gets shot right away while sitting in his chair. But you, you're like, is that Ron Jeremy? Like, Yeah, it, it's you cannot mistake this dude, all right? He looks like Ron Jeremy. I was like, that dude, that's got to be Ron Jeremy. So I went and looked it up. Sure enough, it was him. Um... So, obviously, the group doesn't necessarily care, care about killing certain people or whatever. They don't want to do it, but uh, at the bat, off the bat, they're taking out whoever they think is going to be a threat. And So, I guess they felt like he was going to push a button or something. I think that well, was the Well, that was the thing. They went right into, like, the security area, and they were disabling the silent alarm and the phones. But they didn't, so cops show up later. But the cops show up later because they start killing sure, people yeah. and making a lot of you know noise. Well, yeah, we had a uh, one guy who was a either probably a customer or um, worked at the bank. He had a hidden gun. So while the guys who weren't really like the rest of the group, Eric, Zed, uh, and a few others of the higher ups of the bank went downstairs where the the, the safe was. So I left the rest of the guys to control the group. Of the, they had the hostages, so they started just like kind of letting up their guard. They start telling jokes and they're like goofing off and they're excited, and but they're not paying attention to what's going on. And one of the guys in the group pulls a gun, shoots one of them, kills one of them, uh, hurts another one. It should be noted before I go any further, though. While Eric and the group were on their way out to the jazz club and the, the, the fuck up and get crazy uh it's at that point that eric actually just sort of like in a quick moment tells zed that he has aids because of a needle he is uh doing heroin and before zed can actually question him more about it he's like hey look at that out the window or whatever so eric's character is very crazy like he's just very add he's off the hook uh very into drugs is even while they're there uh, robbing a bank at one point he's breaking out his heroin and getting shooting up and like if you're running a show that's not the thing to do <laughs> but anyway after the uh the hidden gun comes out and kills one guy and hurts the other one they end up shooting that guy plus i think a, a girl next to him like it was they had machine guns so they just weren't even giving a shit they were just kind of firing off and uh again as nick said it kind of draws the cops in uh, the other part is at this time, uh, Zed is downstairs doing his work on the safe. They're making they're making way through a back door basically. So there's two safes that are sort of L shaped, 
the main one they want to get into would take too long. It's like a three-hour job to try to break through that. But Zed noticed through the blueprints they had that there's another back save that's like a little hallway where they probably keep like files and shit that he can get in there in like 30 minutes. And then they, there's like probably an opening to the bigger safe that's not actually a safe safe. You can just break through the bars and get in. So he's working on that. Um, Eric goes up to see what the fuck all the noise is with the guns. And is pretty angry about that, but he's pretty arrogant, so the cops are, you know... And he took off his mask. Right, right. He, while he was doing his drugs, he took the mask off and came up, so they're all kind of like... What the fuck? And they all end up taking their masks off at that point. Uh, so Eric basically is toying with the cops, telling them to fuck off. Uh, then he notices that, oh, lo and behold, one of the girls there is Zoe, the, the call girl. And that was her day job. So he kind of smiles and then, like, makes jokes about, you know, do they know what you do at night, you know, or whatever. So... He goes back downstairs and check on Zed's progress. So Zed gets in there to that other place. Uh, problem is they have like a hidden security guard in the main safe area where. Because uh, they know that that's that's a high stakes area. That's where all the gold is. Right. So they the guy the cops start shooting at him through the the barred window they have there, hooking both bolts uh, together. And, uh, so, and Eric, of course, with his craziness, because Zed's got this box with a drill and stuff for how he gets into the, the safes, also has, like, C4. And you're not supposed to use, like, big parts of it, but Z Eric takes a, a big block of it and throws it in there and lights it up, and it, of course, blows a hole in the wall but kills the, or at least wounds the security guard pretty badly. But they get in, and so... Eric doesn't really give a shit anything at this point. This is why I think the whole him having I think the AIDS, AIDS thing, you're right. You made a good point last night while we were watching. Right. Like, he's just, he's at a point where it's all or nothing. Like, he's going to die anyway in his mind. So, it's like he doesn't care how many people he takes with him. So, he's very a loose cannon here. Um, but once they get in, they, they find the gold. And, you know, Eric takes one up, a bar of it up to show the rest of the guys to get them all excited. But... Some of the guys are still upset because they know the cops are out there. They don't know how they're going to get out of there. Eric's like, well, I'm going to take this girl, Zoe, and use her as bait to get us out of here and get a plane, which, you know, he's just not thinking much out right now. And but yeah, he's like, this is our ticket. We'll use these hostages to get us out of here and get us a plane. And he's like high as fuck because he just shot up in the in the bathroom. He's not wearing his mask. He's killing people randomly. He's like, oh yeah, because the one woman remember was like, you're a monster, and he's yeah. like, yeah, he just yeah, and just pummeled her. He is losing his mind. I think because he's like, I found the gold. I'm like a leprechaun. Found, found me lucky charm. He was just insane. He Yeah, he, uh, he he kept telling the cops, you know, I'm not an amateur and all this. And I think he expected his plan to go flawlessly, which it hasn't. And so as it's all unraveling, he's just losing his shit. And, you know, it, he clearly is in for himself. There's points where he's going down in the elevator with the gold and 
back down to the basement and one of the other guys part of the group is trying to get in there with him because the cops are starting to break in they're not even caring about the yeah they, they start like throwing smoke bombs in and <clears throat> eric's just like okay see you later and like you know he's this guy holding the bag up there um but eventually he's got zoe he's going to use her as a uh an issue i think before they even get downstairs though one of the guys goes down there, and it's a guy that ends up getting left up the elevator. He talks to Zed, and he's like, yeah, so, you know, we got to go. We're going to be good until we get past these cops. And Zed has no idea that all this other shit's going on upstairs. Like, he's oblivious to it. He's like, wait a minute, cops, what? Wait, wait the cops are here? What? And they're like, it's no problem. Zed has it under control. <laughs> Eric, or has, Eric has it under control. Right. And that's like, and Zed knows, like, that's just not real. So he's like, all right, let's go up there, and then... At this point, um, uh, Zoe has managed to break away the gun from Eric. And actually had Eric shoot himself in the foot <laughs> on the way out. So she's running. That's right. She did hit him in the foot. <laughs> so she's running away and she's heading towards where the basement is. And, and Zed and this other guy are coming up. And the other guy sees that she has a gun and is ready to shoot her. And that's when Zed pushes the gun away and lets her get away. And so there's, like, this confrontation also between that guy, Zed, and then Eric shows up and says, you know, you've got to make a choice. It's not, you can't, this isn't your girlfriend. Let's go. And so they, there's just, like, this, at this point, Eric's lost his shit. He doesn't even care about Zed anymore, even though they're... He's not, like, you don't know me. Right. So he takes his knife and cuts Eric, uh, uh, Zed on the face, and it's like clearly Zed knows it, it's game off now. Like they're just they're not. Of course, Zed kind of knew. He was like making a comment like, oh, "I guess this means that our friendship is on uh, on the rocks or some shit like that." And that's when he uh, gets cut by Z uh, Eric. But uh, yeah, towards the end, um, which you know we don't get like a lot of time because there's a point where Zoe and Zed her together, and she's not really holding any grudges. Like, she kind of knew that he was... From then she saw Eric, that he was probably involved in some way. Because he was there for business, and they were kind of doing that chit-chat during the sex scene and all that. But, uh... She doesn't hold any grudges, and she's trying to patch Zed up a little bit with and his face. And it was very, um... Soft. Emotional. And I think... Like, they both really saw who each other was because, you know, Zed knows she's a, pr a prostitute and she realizes that, okay, he might be a bank robber, but what she said earlier is true. He is a decent man. Yeah, I think the thing for Zed is that he obviously knew he was breaking a law by, you know, doing the stuff that he's done, but I think he would rather have done it without hurting people. Exactly. He just wanted to break into the vault and... Because I think he understood even if they got caught, they would go to jail, but it wouldn't be for murder. Mm -hmm. it just like she, He didn't think that uh, Eric was going to go, like, ape shit. Mm -hmm. it, the guns were just supposed to be to scare people. Right. So anyway, uh, Zoe's patching him up and, you know, telling him they're going to get out of there. Of course, uh, Eric shows up and he's now fighting with Zed a little bit and punching Zoe in the face. <laughs> Not Karen, uh, and he's got, he, he now gets a hold of the shotgun, and he's ready to, like, kill, uh, Zed. And at this point, um, the cops come down, the, the SWAT team, and they see that, uh, Eric is standing there with the shotgun, ready to kill them both. 
and the the cops shoot him. Uh, Eric did, so he's done. And quickly, you know, Zoe's like, "Well, this is a customer of ours. We were down here, and they were threatening to kill us." And he managed to get Zed out of there as posing as a, another customer of the bank. And that, it goes back to what Neca says that you know she kind of understood that he wasn't as clean as like she wasn't, you know. So. But, it's like they understood each other from the moment they met. Yeah. And you want to believe that she's like, we'll get you better at the end. We'll get you better and I'll show you the real Paris. Like right. she, She's trying to say, like, you know, Eric at the beginning was like, this bullshit, all this touristy shit, the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, that's not the real Paris. This is underground Paris is the real Paris. And mm-hmm. and uh, Zed was, you know, in, I don't want to say he was enjoying it, but he was experiencing Eric's Paris. Eric's version. Yeah. yeah. So Zoe is like, listen, I'll show you the real Paris, meaning... It's not as bad as what happened in the last two days. Right. And, you know, I don't think they ever made, like, a a sequel to this. And I would have been kind of curious to see if they could. But it's a really good uh, movie. Uh, if you like Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. It's not out of order like Pulp Fiction, but it's got that kind of, like, atmosphere a little bit. Uh, with the violence and whatnot. So... If it's something you think you'd be interested in, definitely check it out. It's worth I it. love the movie. Like, it was this and another movie were saying, these are my choices, and you showed me the, um, the, the trailers. trailers. And yeah. I'm like, this looks actually kind of interesting, and I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. Right. So, yeah, it's called uh, Killing Zoe from 1994, directed by Roger Avery and starring Eric Stoltz. So, three thumbs up. Yeah. Not just two, three. Three. In my pants. <laughs> so we've got some music coming up from Killer Be Killed. Um, got Inverse, who sent us 100 Headless Horsemen on his block. Out of hand, new stuff from them. Torture Bitch. And we're going to kill a brand new Vomitron. This band made a name for themselves when they did uh, a song uh, about Contra, the video game. And, what? Uh, yeah. Their last, their last album, though, had uh, the... Christina, Liv Christine from uh, Levi's at the time, mm-hmm. guest on it, so I really liked it. Uh, but they have a new record out, and this is them doing their version of Airwolf. Ooh!
We're back. We are back. What an awesome, awesome episode. I have to say, I know we talked a lot, but we had a lot to say. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of good stuff we checked out this week, and uh, hopefully people will go out and check it out if they haven't checked it out already. I uh, hope the music was good. I, I loved a lot of it, so uh, actually, when I put it together, I love it a lot, so obviously. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. Many thanks to the label and promotional sites and us to tracks, as well the new stuff that comes across my desk. Ooh, I almost dropped my laptop. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. I'm actually... I, I love how much you get from these promotional sites, and I say this all the time because I wish we could do this every day and like just constantly put out a four-hour show every day because you get so much material. Yeah, if you guys like would just pay us, we could do it. Right? <laughs> we could just retire. Just let Anubis do this every day. He doesn't want to deliver for Amazon forever. Right. Uh, but, you know, we really have a good time doing it. Um, this gives us a chance to get away from everything else and just kick back. I mean... Listen to music. Right. So... I mean... Plus, again, work, life, etc., etc. This gives us an excuse to be together for a couple of hours and listen to music and comment on music and movies. And we, it's hard because we have conflicting work schedules, but it, like today is our day that we both are off. So we do this together. Yep. So, many thanks to those who support this uh, podcast. We appreciate it a lot. We always see the downloads and the comments. So, again, if you have any particular track or band you want to hear, just let us know. Uh, if you have any comments or, you know, input about the topics, I mean, you can always give us topics if you want. We can go and research and check it out or movies you want us to review. Uh, we'll be glad to do that as well. One last track for you. Brand new stuff from Vulture. Very good band. This is called Below the Mausoleum. And we will see you all next time. Thank you.
you are